the glory of God's promise of the Savior. And of course, our text is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. What's in a name? Choosing a name for an expected child can take quite some time. Includes months of discussions, perhaps even research to find just the right name. But the name Savior describes God's purpose in sending Jesus to earth. The incomparable Lord Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God, the Man of Sorrows, the Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd, Mighty God, the Bright and Morning Star, Emmanuel, Dayspring, Rock, the Judge, the Bread of Life, the King of Kings, Teacher, the Light of the World, Servant, and the Only Way to Heaven. The Bible uses more than 300 names and titles to describe Jesus. But Jesus can be no more contained in these names and titles then we could contain the ocean in the collection of beautiful bottles. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, expressed it this way, quote, I know my words cannot honor him according to his merit. I wish they could. Indeed, I grow less and less satisfied with my thoughts and language concerning him. He is too glorious for my feeble language to describe him. If I could speak with tongues of men and angels, I cannot speak worthily of him. End of quote. The promise of the Savior. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. We just read this verse earlier. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. This promise follows up Isaiah's Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And just months before his birth, God reiterated the same promise to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the promise of the Savior goes way back into the Old Testament. In fact, you go back to Genesis after the curse is pronounced upon the man and the woman for disobeying God, he looks at the serpent and says, By the belly you will crawl, you will, she will crush her head with her heel, and you will bruise her heel. As a foretelling of the Messiah to come. So you have the promise of the Savior, but now you have the purpose of the Savior. In the Gospels, Jesus speaks frequently about the purpose of his incarnation. Why did he come? Basic words, to do his father's business. Do you remember the story of a man called Zacchaeus? He was a man of worth, had some money. He was a tax collector, so he wasn't very well liked by his fellow citizens. And when Jesus 
was going to pass through his town. He heard about it, so he ran in front of the crowd. He climbed into a tree so he get a perfect view of Jesus coming his way. And Jesus, as passing by, looked up at him and called him by name and invited him to lunch. Of course, when all the townspeople heard of this, they got angry. I mean, they hated Zacchaeus and his fraudulent ways of being a tax collector. And when Jesus was asked about eating with such a person, you know what his response was? By the way, you can find the story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. In the 10th verse, Luke 19, verse 10, this is Jesus' response to the question, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Savior is needed to seek the lost. You and I were not seeking after Christ. Never was. He was seeking you. He was seeking me. In Luke, we're told about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son. Each of those going up in value. All of them had to be sought to be found. But observe the music and majesty in Jesus' statement. There is one focus, the lost, and two actions, to seek and to save. So you can say Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. How glad are you this morning that, in fact, he came to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us. The Savior is needed to save the lost. And when you think of one being saved, perhaps you picture sailors who are clinging on to a wreckage of a ship. Helicopters hovering in the night sky with their beacons looking down to search for the, the living how about a collapsed mine where workers are trapped and their oxygen is running low and they're crouching in the darkness, wondering if they dare hope for salvation? Or how about think of a little girl who was trapped in a well? This little girl cannot be abandoned and she has to be brought of that well. These temporal situ situations are transcended by the tragedy of people who are lost and the rubble of their own sin, darkness, and pain. Often without knowing what they're longing for, lost people are crying out to be rescued. Until we're willing to admit to God that we fall short of His glorious perfection, whatever Jesus may have done for us will not make any difference he does not force himself upon us. He paid the penalty for our sin, but he waits for you and I to accept by faith his gift of eternal salvation. You have the provision of a Savior. It's a historical fact. Is born this day a Savior. We see that in verse 11. There is a specific moment when Jesus was born. Now, let me just clarify that. I'm not talking about he's a created being. He is God. But when he came and was born in the human flesh is what I'm talking about. It happened on a certain day in a certain place at a certain time. It was a historical event. In fact, our timeline was divided by A.D. and B.C. Before Christ, I cannot remember the Latin punctuation of A.D. But now they want to replace it before common era and after common era. You see, his life was such a historic event, it divided our timeline. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. 
in the city of David. The city of David is Bethlehem. And do you know that the prophet Micah predicted this 700 years before Christ? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. You have the foundation for eternity. Unto you is born a Savior. He entered into humanity so that humanity could enter eternity. You ever hear about people getting the Christmas blues after Christmas is over? You start taking the decorations down and people get a little depressed and sad. It's also called the sand syndrome, seasonal affective disorder. I'm not making that up. Go home, look it, look it up. Google it. Is it worth a Google? Yes, Google it. We must stop thinking about Christmas in the commercial sense of it. We must start thinking about Christ. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. He is the master. He is the bridegroom. He is the good shepherd. He is the holy one of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. John introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We read that in John chapter 1, verse 29. The Magi recognized him as the king of the Jews. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And Thomas which we give a bad title to, by the way. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. I can identify with Thomas. I've been in the same way. And when he saw the risen Lord, what did he do? He fell on his knees before him and cried out, My Lord and my God. John chapter 20, verse 28. You see, dear beloved, Christmas is all about Christ. It's not about presents. It's about His presence you 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 may not have family nearby but your heavenly father is close at hand when you get depressed refocus your attention on the one who loves you more than you can dream who came to this earth to be your savior do you know him in that way see it's not enough just to believe that he's the savior of the world but let's now bring it to a personal level do you know him as savior but here's another thing. You can't know him being Sarah, him being Lord, because he is both. Do you know him that way? Have you put your trust and your faith in him? What I mean by faith and trust, I've used this illustration so many times, but it's so true. If we're on an airplane, all of us, and the flight attendant comes through and says, well, the plane is going down. The pilot has done everything he can possibly do, but he cannot arrest the fall. He'll keep the airplane airborne as long as he possibly can. That's the bad news. But the good news is we have parachutes for everybody. So we need you to put them on and be ready. It could be five minutes from now. It could be 30 minutes from now. But when he tells us, and we're below 10,000 feet, we're going to open that door and you got to jump. The plane will crash. You stay on board, you will die. Now, what would you do with that parachute? Would you throw it in the overhead bin? Would you kick it underneath the seat? Would you try it on? Man, this thing's too uncomfortable. I'll just wait till the time comes and then I'll put it on. Or would you put that thing on, tighten it up as tight as you could be, 
and you're just sitting there waiting. Probably so tight you lose feeling in your arms because you know that plane is going down. And you know when that door opens, you've got to jump or you're going to die. And when you jump, you realize this, the, the absolute truth of gravity, that you jump out of that plane, gravity is going to take over. You're going to start falling to earth. And no matter what you do, you will not be able to arrest your fall. You can flap your arms. You can say, I, I know I can fly where that song was. I just killed it, didn't I? It's only when you pull that ripcord and that parachute comes open that rests your fall and you land safely. You're putting your trust in that parachute that is going to keep you alive. That's what it means to trust Christ. That no matter what you do, you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't earn your way. There's nothing you can do except put your trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what it means to believe him and to trust him. You know, in conclusion, I would say I cannot think of a better day. And earlier, as people were coming in, I was asking some of the kids, what did you get for Christmas? Have you opened your presents yet? We always have that big gift that we loved when we were kids, you know, that grand big gift. I don't care how much money you have or how much money you spend. I cannot think of a more valuable, greater gift than receiving the gift of salvation. There's nothing like it. You cannot put a price tag on it. And if you've done that, how's your walk with Christ? You know, here we are at Christmas, celebrating his birth. The decorations will go down. All the holiday music will stop. People being nice and cheery will go away. About like that. Probably already started. But if you know the one who's the reason we celebrate this holiday to begin with, then your peace and your joy will never go away. Does that mean you walk around happy all the time? No, that means even when life crushes you and pushes on on you from every side, you have a peace that passes all understanding because you know God is with you. Jesus Emmanuel, God with you every step of the way. And I just want to say one more thing. I was thinking about the greatest gift, and over the past few years, I said, I thought, man, Tammy, I have lost a lot of loved ones this past 10 years. I know some of you as well. Then I thought, well, loss is not the word, though, because they're Christians, and we know where they're at, don't we? We, we haven't lost them. We know where they are. <laughs> what a gift to know that one day, one day, we will see them again. And on that day, they'll be racked with cancer, or disease, or pain. They will be completely, utterly healed. And on top of that, incomparable to that, is going to be Christ himself. We'll see the imprints of the nails in, in his hands and his feet and where the sword pierced his side. We will see that glorious place called heaven 
that we read about, but we don't even come close to how majestic it will be. And we'll stand there in complete awe of all this around us and say, you did this for me? And then we'll all fall down and worship him forever. So this Christmas, I, I'm thankful for the gifts that my loved ones will give me. But I'm so much more thankful for what God has given me here and now and what he's promised to give me in the future. That's how I get through the days. That's how I press on. And if you don't know that, email, call me, talk to me after the service. I'll be glad to talk to you anytime, anywhere about who Jesus is. I'm telling you, he'll change your life. It will never be the same. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we could come here on this day that we celebrate the coming of our Savior. Father, we know it's more than just a manger scene because we know that 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 manger is in the shadow of the cross. Jesus, you came knowing fully well what your mission was. You know it was going to cost, and yet you came anyway. And you didn't come for just a select few or just a handful of people. You came because you so loved the world that you could not leave it in darkness. You came to shine your light. So, fathers, we think of this day, we think of that scene in Bethlehem. May we also remember your life and your death and your glorious resurrection. And just as Micah predicted his birth 700 years before the event, we have prophecy now telling us of your second coming just as sure as we are that you came here to earth, we know that you are returning. It's not a question of if, it's only a question of when. May we always be ready. May we always give people around us the reason for this holiday, the reason for the hope that we have inside of us. And as the gift of your son, the gift of salvation, mercy, and forgiveness. We thank you for all of this and so much more. In the precious name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with